0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We started, and I'm really excited about it, we started a brand new series last week, and we called it This Is Us. And so if you were not here last week, or if you haven't seen it, in all seriousness, please go online and watch it. It's about a 25-minute message, and it's going to set this up so you'll understand why we're doing what we're doing uh, we said this that we started with. There we started. This is the, the story of remember, Jesus was kind of had these adversarial groups that were challenging him the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and they were the if you're not familiar with them, don't worry about it. They're the religious elites, they're the religious officials. They're very religious, very rules oriented. And there's Jesus right in their midst, and they don't even get it. And so a Pharisee came and he tried to trap Jesus with a question and Jesus kind of gave it was an IRS tax question and Jesus did a little trick with a coin and sent him off scurrying. And then a Sadducee, who's like a Pharisee, they have slightly different beliefs, but they're Jews. Sadducees came and they tried to ask him a a question and show him how ridiculous it was to think about an afterlife. And Jesus takes him back about 1800 years to the time of Abraham and he he, he makes a, a teaching out of a verb tense and the Sadducee scurries off right? And then here comes a Pharisee again. This guy's an expert in the law. This dude is an expert of all the Pharisees, of all the rabbis. He's an expert in the Mosaic law, right? And He says, hey, Jesus, uh, in all the law, the, the Mosaic law, the, the Mosaic commandments, what's the most important commandment? 613 commands in the Old Testament. What's the single most important one? We ought to just be heads up. We ought to be paying attention as followers of Christ. What's the most important one? And Jesus says, you've got to love the Lord your God, not just kind of, with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. We ought to pay attention. We ought to be heads up. if We're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. What's the most important one? Now, this was a Pharisee, and he's trying to trap Jesus. So understand this. This guy is ready for this answer. Deuteronomy 6. Everybody at that time, the Pharisees, would have known the Mosaic Law. This guy in particular is an expert. He knew exactly what Jesus was going to say. And so he's just like this. He's just ready. He's just ready to tee off. And Jesus doesn't even take a, get a breath. He doesn't even take a gasp. He just rolls with it immediately. says, and, like before this guy could butt in, and, a second is equally important. Now, I just want you to let that soak in for a minute. Because what he's about to say here is every bit as important as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Like that's a weird thought to me as a Christian. I don't write this. We're just reading it together. I don't make this stuff up. These are the scriptures. Jesus said this. A second is Equally, It's every bit as important as this. And now he's going to take him to Deuteronomy 19. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, neighbor has been defined. In the Parallel of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, your neighbor could somebody be somebody who looks just like you, thinks just like you, votes just like you, everything. Or it could be somebody who doesn't look like you at all, doesn't have any cultural similarities at all. That, they, they can all be neighbors. And he says, we're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this editorial remark. And he says, by the way, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, which means this. The law was the Mosaic law, Genesis through, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All of that, that's what they had. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have any of that yet. You had the law, and then you had the prophets. Prophets like Isaiah. Isaiah would say things, and people were like, that's Isaiah. Or Jeremiah, right? Or maybe it was a mind like it's Hosea or it's Malachi. And Jesus is saying that your what you would call, what we today would call their Bible, right? They would call it the Law and the Prophets. It's all, it's all hinges on these two demands, right? Uh, on these two commandments. It's, it, it's all hinged on there. So, so the translation, the way you really think of it is like this. Jesus was basically saying this. If you guys read the Mosaic Law or if you read one of the prophets and you're just not sure, I'm not really sure what he was saying. I don't really know what that means. I don't really know how to reinterpret that. Jesus is saying this: love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Well, I've read the Mosaic Law. I kind of got that. I've read Jeremiah. I didn't really get that. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor. I didn't really understand Malachi. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But it's all. It's that. If you're ever confused, that's where we go. Jesus was saying that, and so what we're saying is this: if what Jesus said is true you got to figure that out for yourself. I'm telling you, if, Jesus, if what Jesus said was true, this love, horizontally, is every bit equally as important as this love, and we got to be paying attention to this. How do we come across people? How are we doing in terms of relationships? How are we relating to people? Because we want to communicate the love of Christ. We want to demonstrate Christ. We want to live Christ to them. right? And so it begs this question. How are we doing? How can I more effectively love and or relate to my neighbor? How do we do that? How, how am I doing that? Can I do a better job? Can I relate to people more effectively? Can I show them the love of Christ more effectively? And so we said, really, this would take two key things that we're going to pay attention to. It's going to take, number one, some self-examination. Some self-examination. And then as you ex- examine yourself, just suspend all judgment. And now just assess. Assess. And now just assess. And so in this series, over the next nine weeks now, we're going to be doing that. We're looking at characters from the Bible specifically. We're pulling out traits that we say, man, that is a Christ-like a a trait. How are we doing with that? Are we demonstrating that? Are we living that out? How are we doing that? So I'm going to ask you to in your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. First book, right? It's about two-thirds of the way through. How many of you grew up in the church where we did sword drills as kids? Do you remember that? That's Today we don't do that because everybody goes, "Well, on my phone, it's just you know." Matthew fourteen, you got it. When you're ready, stand your feet for me, please. Visitors, if you're first timer, if you're newer, just so you know, this is the last of the up down. But we always, we always stand at our church. We always stand. It's not right or wrong. It's just our thing. But the reason we do it, it's a physical reminder to us. This isn't a book written by some guys. This is God speaking to us right now. Got it? Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, when he heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do so many miracles, such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias. She was the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. Verse 4. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry her. And Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. Verse 6, But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. And so he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. And then the king regretted what he had said. But because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. Verse 10. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray, and it was given to the girl who took it to her mother. Verse 12. Later, John's disciples came for his body, and they buried it. And then they went and told Jesus what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your holy word. We're so grateful that you've given us this to teach, to instruct. Uh, Lord, I I would just pray now that that the only way that we're going to be able to receive this, the only way we're going to be able to understand and implement this is through the working of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we know you're here in our presence, and we're grateful for that. It is a privilege for us to be in your presence. And we would just ask now that you would speak, that you would teach, that you would use this word to mold us into the image of Christ, Do this to glorify yourself, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And so uh, let's kind of flesh this out. We're going to take a look at this. I think you're going to find this really interesting. Let's go back. If you look in your Bible, start again. Look at verse uh, 1. It says, when Herod Antipas. Now, just so you know this, there was Herod the Great. Herod the Great probably died somewhere around the year 5. Jesus had maybe been born, but wasn't an adult. Herod with the Great, and then Herod the Great had two sons. He had Herod Antipas, that's who we're talking about here, and he had Herod Philip. Just so you know, Herod the Great was a Jew only because he married into it. Ethically, he was from Edom. Uh, Herod Antipas, his son, Herod Philip, Herod the Great, they most likely observed the Passover, which is the big holiday for Jews, but we don't think they really practiced Judaism in any other way. But now they're, they're all rulers. Okay, so Herod Antipas is the ruler of Galilee. If you ever get confused about um, the the geography of Israel, you just remember it's a long strip of land. In the north you have Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee. He had a Galilean ministry up there, right? And then you have, in the middle, you have Samaria. That's where the Samaritans live. They're kind of, the Jews call them dogs. They call them half-breeds. They were Jews who, who did a lot of intermarrying. And then all the way down to the bottom you have Judea. Judea is where Jerusalem is. So this guy is the ruler up in Galilee, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And he heard about Jesus. Jesus is gaining some fame. People are starting to talk about him. There's some buzz about things that he's doing. And so he says to advisors, this Jesus guy, he must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. And I thought it was really interesting that he instantly thinks that this is somebody who's been raised from the dead, and his head instantly goes to John the Baptist. I find that very interesting. Why would he think that this was John the Baptist? Why is it John raised from the dead? Why was he thinking that? Well, in the very next verse he says, for, because. So now he's going to explain, this is why Herod Antipas thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist. This is what's going on in his head. Because Herod had arrested and imprisoned John previously, as a favor to his wife, Herodias, who, by the way, is the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Herod the Great has two sons, Herod Antipas and Herod Philip. Herod Antipas goes to visit his brother, Philip, one time, meets Philip's wife and says, Hmm, I like that. Goes back home, divorces his wife, and marries the wife of his brother, Herod Philip, who, by the way, had to divorce her husband, Philip, and so now the two of them are married. Got it? Then it says... John had been telling Herod, hey, it's against God's law for you to marry her. He takes him back to Deuteronomy and he says, it's against the Mosaic law. You can't marry your brother's wife. Your brother, your brother's wife, they divorce. It's not okay for you to marry her. You can't do that. And further, it says, John had been telling. It doesn't say he told him, It says he had been telling him over and over repeatedly, it's not right for you to take your brother's wife. It's not right for you to take your brother's wife. He's been saying that. He's been saying it a lot. Well, how do you think that made Herod feel? Well, you don't have to guess. The very next verse says Herod wanted to kill John. But... Herod was afraid of a riot. Why? Because all the people believed John was a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet. He absolutely was a prophet. And the people believed that about John the Baptist. And so Herod is afraid, if I imprison John the Baptist, the people are going to riot. I'm going to have a mess on my hands. Well, but, but at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter, Herodias is now his wife, Herodias' daughter is Salome. And Salome performs a dance that greatly pleases Herod. It is some sexual type of dance. And so, because he was so pleased by that, he promised with a vow in a room full of people. He promises with a vow to give her anything she wanted. Well, as soon as Herodias hears that, she gets a hold of, of Siloam and she's like, Psst, come here. And, her- and Salome goes over to her mother Herodias, and Herodias says, psst, 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 just like that. And what she said was, "Listen, that John the Baptist has been giving me a bu- the business, and he's been giving Herod the business. He just said he'll give you anything he want you want. Uh, you want? Tell him you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter." Well, that's what that's what she did. She goes over to John the Baptist and she says, or she goes over to Herod and she says, "You know what I want? You said I can have anything I want. I want John the Baptist's head." The Bible tells us that because of that, that Herod regretted what he had done. We see in the other uh, gospel, in Mark's gospel, that uh, Herod Herod had visited John the Baptist while he was in prison. There was something about John the Baptist that Herod really liked. But because he made a vow, because he said anything you wanted, he did it in a room full of people. So John was beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who then took it to her mother. Now, this is interesting to me. Do you think that John the Baptist knew who he was talking to when he told Terry it was wrong? Absolutely, he knew he was talking to you. Do you think he understood the power that Herod had? Absolutely, he knew the power that Herod had. Do you think that he knew that, that Herod could have him thrown into the prison? He absolutely knew that because he understood his power. Do you think that he could ultimately have him beheaded? John absolutely knew that he could beheaded. Well, then why would he say anything? And furthermore, he didn't just say it once. He kept telling him, it's wrong. It's wrong for you to take your brother's wife. That's wrong. It's not okay for you to take your brother's wife. Why would he keep saying it? Why would he say that to a guy who had all the power, who could have him in prison, and who could ultimately have him beheaded? And the answer is very simple. God made John the challenger. Challenger is the first personality style that we're looking at in this series, This Is Us. It's the first one that we're going to look at as we try to transform by the power of the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ so that we can relate to our neighbors better, so that we can love them better. We're going to look at this. Now, just so you know, these behaviors are all seen in Christ. You're going to see these behaviors. This wasn't just John, who's the only one who's ever known. Look at Jesus. You're going to see this same character quality in Jesus. You know that Jesus was having trouble with the Pharisees. Jesus was having trouble with the Sadducees. One time Jesus performed a miracle. He cast a demon out of a man. As a man everybody knew was demon-possessed, right? Jesus cast the demon out. And as soon as he did that, the Pharisees, who were always jealous of Jesus, they said, well, of course he can cast the demon out of a, out of a man. He gets his power from Satan. That's what they said to Jesus. So Jesus responds to them and he says, You brood of snakes? You brood of snakes? How could evil men like you speak what's good and right? How could anything good and right ever possibly come out of you, evil men? Because whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Jesus speaks to the rulers of that day, the religious rulers, those who would eventually have him arrested and killed. And he knows that about them and he sees the evil in them and he says to them, How could you guys ever say anything that's good? Your hearts are evil. That's why evil things come out of your mouth. It's the exact same behavior that we see in Jesus. We see that same behavior come out of John the Baptist. And so we're going to be looking at these types of character qualities over the next, nine uh, after this week, eight weeks. And so let me just reintroduce this to you again. First of all, how many of you were able this week to go onto the website and take the personality assessment? Good. If you haven't, it's not too late. It's still up on the website. It's on the home page. When you pull it up, when you roll it up, it'll say, this is us. It's just one of the blocks in there. It'll say, this is us. And then right underneath that, it'll say personality assessment. All it is, is a personality assessment. That's it. It's no more than that, right? It's free. It's done by a Christian organization, and it's going to help us to see some weaknesses in our own lives when we compare it to the scriptures. And so I just want to remind everybody this, that the goal of this series is not for you to become an expert on this Enneagram, on this personality assessment. That's not the goal. The goal is that you become an expert at loving your neighbor, at relating more effectively to your neighbor, at demonstrating the love of Christ to your neighbor, which means we need to do some self-examination and have some self-assessment. Okay, so let me give you a couple house rules before we go and then we won't have to do this every week But number one when you take the assessment online, just remember this. It's only an assessment. That's all it is Now I would say this we've been doing personality assessments forever again Raise your hand if you've taken the disc profile ever raise your hand if you've taken the the, strengths finder ever Raise your hand if you've ever taken Myers-Briggs raise your hand if you've ever had somebody say hey Is this glass half full or half empty? Okay, that's a personality assessment. That one only has two kinds right There's pessimists and there's optimists. If anybody's ever said to you, does being around people energize you or does it suck the life out of you? Right. Again, we only have two personality styles. We have introverts and extroverts. This is another one, and it's just an assessment. But I would also say this. It is just an assessment in that it is just a start. So when you take it online, it's going to spit out some results and it'll tell you what personality style you are. That was just a starting point. It doesn't mean that's what you are. These are generalities, and you're going to have to discover over time as you work with this. Is that me? Does that resonate with you? Pastor Vicki is very skilled at this. She took our staff through it probably about three years ago. And the first time I took it, I said, oh, she said, did you take it? And I said, yeah. And she said, what did you find out? I said, oh, I'm definitely a three. She went, hmm. <laughs> just didn't say another word. Just hmm. Like, He'll figure it out. Give him some time, you know? And so it's just a starting point for you. That's all it is. And then you'll wrestle with it and you'll work with it. and God will make you more aware of things. I would also say this. It's very important that you don't tell other people what they are. That's very important because this is self-discovery, right? And so it's very easy for us to go, You're a six. Oh, you're an eight. We just don't do that. Even if people say to you, What do you think I am? Uh, I don't have any clue. I don't have any idea. It's self-discovery. People have to figure that out on their own. I would also say we don't use this to put people in a box. We don't use this to put people in a box. We say, you know, this is what you are. There are some great things about it. But every time they do something negative, we don't say, oh, that's because you're a six or you're a five. or you're." Nope. We don't put people in a box. And lastly, I would just say this this is not for you to use as an excuse. So in other words, when I do something really negative and and it's just a terrible thing and people criticize me, it's not okay for me to go, well, I'm an eight. That's how God made me. That's just it. That's the way I am. It's not for you. This is to make us aware. This is to make us aware. So the first thing we're going to start with, and by the way, we're starting with eights. People say, that's weird. Why are we starting with eights? I'm an eight. Uh, Very clearly, that's not why we're starting with eights. We start with eights because these are divided into kind of three groups of three. The first grouping is eights, nines, and ones. Eights, nines, and ones, if you tested and you're an eight or you're a nine or you're one, or you think at this point you're thinking that's what you are, it's what we call the gut triad. And these triads, all these three personality styles, you tend to live very instinctually. This is my gut and I just go with it. Eights, nines, and ones, you're, so that's why we're starting with eights, okay? But I'm going to give you a couple statements to help you understand what a challenger would sound like. These are for you eights, and this is if you're married to an eight, if you know an eight. These are some things that an eight sounds like. I've been told that I'm too bold and aggressive. If you're an eight, th- 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 that's very likely. If you've heard that, that, that might be a clue that you're an eight, uh, if you've ever thought, hey, t- take it easy is not really my style. If you've had people say, take it easy, and you're like, that's not my style. Right? Could be an eight. Uh, an eight would say, I actually enjoy a good verbal skirmish. Like, if you feel that way, you just, you just need to know that eights are, are actually energized by verbal combat. Right? Eight would say, bring on the opposition. Uh, An A would say, it's very difficult for me to trust. It's very difficult for me to trust other people. If you feel that way, if that resonates with you, you might be an A. You might be a challenger. Uh, An A would say, I tend to make decisions fast and I just trust my gut. Eights, you'll very often do that, you just make decisions very quickly. If that resonates with you, you might be a challenger or an aide. An A would say, I really hate it when people beat around the bush. In fact, eights, you'll find this is very common. You oftentimes lack respect for people who don't just come out and say it. You oftentimes feel like, man, I I don't have any respect for you. If you think something's on your mind, say it. That's very oftentimes how you feel. Uh, An eight would say uh, also, do not mess with the people that I love. Don't mess with them. Eights are going to protect themselves and they protect their tribes. Uh, An eight would say, I will not stand for injustice. Eights will rise up. They're not going to tolerate injustice. An eight typically is the one who confronts the bully, and they have no problem doing it. They see something. They see it's wrong. They see someone who's vulnerable. They're going to protect them. You're the bully. Eights like to step in. And then the last thing is, an eight would tell you that under that really tough exterior, really I have a very tender heart. Under my very tough exterior, I have a tender heart. That's what eights tend to sound like. So let me, let me kind of point you then to eights in another way. These are eights. Eights are willing to stand alone. They don't care if anybody stands with them. If God has spoken something to you and you're an eight, if this is your personality, you're a challenger, you don't care. If nobody else stands up, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to. I know it's the right thing to do, and I'm taking a stand, and they'll stand alone. That, that's just the way they're wired. Uh, again, they're energized by disagreement. Some people say, mm, I just don't want to take out on. Eights are like looking for someone to disagree. That's how they behave, right? They have very strong feelings for injustice. They're very much the defender of the underdog. If you're a challenger, if you're an eight, you feel that. You feel it for the underdog. You will become emotional very often times. I'm not an, I know people always think this is weird. I'm not an emotional person. But for me as an eight, when those things come up, when I see the vulnerable, when I see the underdogs, when, I, when, when that situation is in front of me, I get very emotional. I get very choked up about that. We, we gravitate toward underdogs. Um, also for the challengers, right? You'll see confidence. You'll you'll think they're very confident. They feel strong conviction, strong passion. They're very decisive. If you're a challenger, you're here this morning, you're an eight, you tend to be pretty decisive, and you seem confident, and you seem full of conviction and passion. Here's what's really interesting. Eights are very oftentimes leaders, but, and here's the but. Like, eights are definitely strong leaders, and they can cast a vision, and they can get people passionate about it. I mean, they can get people to rally. That's very true. But eights don't have to be leaders. They oftentimes they don't need to feel like they're in control. Here's the big thing about AIDS, they just don't want to be controlled. And it's very true. We we're the strong, like man, we're the strong-willed kids. And if my mom hands me a stick and she says, Don't poke your eye out all day, I'm just trying to do this, you know. Like that, even if it's to our own detriment, we're like, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Like, we'll just poke our eyes out. That's that's just how eights are. Now, here's what we said, and I want you to know this first and foremost. If you're here this morning and you're an eight, you're a challenger. Here's the deal. You just need to hear me say this. We love you. We're thrilled that you're here. I'm grateful that you're a part of the body of Christ. I am grateful that you're a part of Cedar Valley Church. And this morning I celebrate you. And I I celebrate the way that God specifically made you. We need your gifts. We need your talents. We need your wirings here in the body of Cedar Valley. We need you. And so we celebrate you. I just want you to hear me say that loud and clear because so many of the times we do these types of things and we go, well, here's their fault and here's their fault. And I'm saying, no, no, God made you that way and we celebrate it. We love it and we desperately need it. In the vein of what we talked about previously, self-examination, and self-awareness, I'm going to give you some things to be aware of. Now, these are things for you. If you think you're a challenger, don't, don't worry. If you didn't take the assessment, you can still go online. You can hop on, on, on our website. You can still take it. If you need to go back and watch this message, they're always online. But I'm going to give you some things just to think about. You need to hear these and then just suspend judgment for a minute. Just take it in and Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Because what we're praying for is transformation. Question, who does the transforming? Only the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit. I don't transform anybody. That's not what I do. The Holy Spirit is going to have to work. So you need to do some self-examination. And let the Holy Spirit transform you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and go, Ooh, that might be you. And then think about that. Consider it and think about what you might do. So... Let me start with some of these things. First of all, this is uh, uh, when we become unhealthy; we tend to trend in some very unChrist-like behaviors. Okay, and so typically, things that will cause—and this is for anybody of any personality—typically, it's number one when you're under stress. You all know that when you're under great stress, we can exhibit some very unChrist-like behaviors, things that are very unhealthy. That if other people in the world see, they go. That person's definitely not a Christian. They're definitely not a Christ follower. Like they would just readily say that. Or at least they would definitely, if, if I said, oh yeah, that dude goes to my church. They're like, what kind, of church do you, what kind of church do you have there? Are you kidding me? Right? We've all been there. We've all done it. It's primarily stress. And so when you're in a stressful moment, it's just one of those stressful situations. You are at the DMV. You're on the phone with customer service. You are in line with customer service, right? That's a stressful moment. When you're having a stressful day, or it's been a stressful season, or you're around a person that is particularly stressful for you, they will bring out all these unchrist like behaviors. And we're going to talk about what they are for you. But just understand, for every personality type, this is what brings us out of it. The other is, and many of you know this acronym, but I always bring this up, is HALT. And everybody should be aware of this, because this is when these unchrist like behaviors oftentimes come out of us. And it's when we're most susceptible to sin specifically. And that is when you are hungry, when you are angry, when you are lonely, or when you are tired. That is when we are most susceptible to sin, and these unchrist like behaviors come out of us. When I'm hungry, my wife will, and my wife has said this to me, and she'll, she'll try to say it in a very kind way. But if something comes out of me that just seems like, wow, your tone is what I mean, she'll just say to me, is your blood sugar low? Right? It's very common. And in the same way for you, if you're hungry. If you're angry, we know how we respond when we're angry sometimes. Believe it or not, when you're lonely, when you're lonely and you know that you can be lonely with a lot of people around you. But if you're just lonely and you're feeling insecure... We tend to trend of very unhealthy behaviors. We look very un-Christ-like. And the last one is when you're tired, and I think you all get that. You, you know, things can be, you're not saying anything, and nobody's saying anything to you, and finally somebody says one little thing and you just snap because you're really, really tired. We look very unchrist-like. And for eights, I'm going to show you what that looks like. Now, somewhere for eights, this was your earliest childhood message: is it's not okay to trust or be vulnerable. I'm an eight. Uh, Everybody has been betrayed at some level at some time. But eights, you challenge yours. We've internalized that. I can tell you exactly what it was for me. I can tell you exactly what it was. And I would say this. You might even spend some time saying, what was that wounding? Where did that come from? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak that. Because that's an old wounding in you. Somewhere you were betrayed. You think it's no longer safe to trust people. I can't be vulnerable with anybody. Right, the Holy Spirit is going to have to transform that. That that's only the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Your core fear, by the way, because of that, is appearing weak or powerless, because you've been betrayed. You don't want to be vulnerable, right? Let's go back one. Thank you. Uh, You don't want to be vulnerable, and you don't want to be controlled. You don't like like. Think about this. You don't want to be vulnerable. You, you you don't want to let anybody in, you don't want to share weaknesses. How are we encouraged? How are we prayed for? How are we strengthened? How do we grow? That that is just such a core fear for you, right? Now this is your your kind of your core weakness or your sin area where you're really susceptible, and it's lust. But I would say this, it's not just sexual lust, it is more in the area of excess, gotta have more, gotta have more. And I'll give you the perfect example. It's just true of me as can be, man, if one is good, six is better. I jokingly always say at our house, we are such tree huggers. At our house, everything we eat is either a pine cone or moose poop. It's one of the two. It's like, right, you know, that's everything we eat. And so we have this giant cabinet that is full of supplements. And it's just like... So every morning I get up and I grab a bottle, right? Well, the bottles don't really know because they'll tell you take two. Two isn't good. I just, I just do this. I'm like, seven. Seven is always better. <laughs> right? It's just like that's how eights, that's challengers. that's very often our weakness. If a little is good, more is always better. Always. Right? That's just kind of the... The, the, the core weakness. And so what we really want to do is then we want to work. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to, to transform us. We've already said, man, AIDS, Challengers, we celebrate you. We love the way you're wired. We love the way you're gifted. You bring us something that nobody else does. I'm asking us to do some self-examination and self-assessment, allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, to bring us into the likeness of Christ so that we more effectively relate to our neighbors, love our neighbors, communicate the gospel by the way that we live. So I want to talk just a little bit about some challenger transformation, some things to give you challenges, in, in particular, some things to think about. Here's a thought for you. Number one, gray is an actual color. Like, eights, you need to know that. Gray is an actual color. Because for, for challengers, everything is black and white. Black and white. Black, this is just how it is. Wait, you're not with me. you know. It's, it's like the person who is 80% for me is 100% against me. That, that's how eights feel. And I'm just saying, like, sometimes gray. Is, how, many, how many of you figured this one out? Most things are gray. Few things are black and white, everybody. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. Period. That's a black and white issue. There is one God. His name is Jesus. That's a black and white issue. Most of life is fairly gray. So challenge you. just in, in an attempt to let the Holy Spirit transform you. Accept the idea that sometimes life is gray. Here's another thought for you. This is a question you should periodically wrong. Could I be wrong? Like This is a question you should ask. Could I be wrong? Because eights, you, 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 very oftentimes, you get into a debate, some kind of discussion, and you dig your heels in, and not only am I right, they're an idiot. Okay, so that's how we feel. That's just how eights feel. I'm now better than them. I'm smarter than them. They are an idiot. And so here's a question. It's just like, stop. Just, just is there any chance that I could be wrong? Or could I be wrong in any part of this? Because eights just blast forward, right? Here's another thought for you, Eights. I want you to just think about this for a minute. Just again, suspend judgment and just think about this. Vulnerability can actually be strength. What did Paul say? When I am weak, then I am. Well, that's interesting, then I'm strong. Now, this is one of the reasons that I love the fact that we're going to be doing this in life groups. Because it's very hard to be vulnerable all by yourself. Have you ever thought about that? You can be. You can be vulnerable by yourself. And I've tried it. I'm like, hey, Neil, I really want to tell you something. Yes, I'm listening. Tell me. Well, there was this one time, oh, I feel that. Like, you can't be vulnerable with yourself. And so, Aids, I'm going to challenge you especially that as we're in this group dynamic, as we're doing life groups, this is an area for us Aids to work on. Be appropriately vulnerable. Like, we're going to have to confess some things. We're going to have to talk about some things. We're going to have to admit some things. It doesn't mean you're weak. Actually, vulnerability can mean strength. Here's another one for you. It's actually how you say it. Because this is what we think oftentimes as challengers, as 8s We'll say something, and we just blow people out of the water. And, and then we go, like, they're all upset. We're like, did I say something f- wrong? Like, isn't that true? Did, w- what I said, isn't it true? Am, am, I, am I telling truth, everyone? I'm like, you just blew people out of the water. It's actually how you say it. This has been one of the most uh, significant things that the Holy Spirit has done in my life through this, is that I'm that person. I'm that person who would just say things, and I would just watch I could just see the whole room respond, just like, blam, I just blew the room up. And I think in my head, I don't get it. I mean, I had zero self-awareness, zero. I I would just blast people and think, what I said is actually true. I don't understand. It's tone. Just here's a thought for you, challengers. Your passion is very often their intimidation say it again, your passion is very often their intimidation. It is intimidating to them. And so when you say things, be very careful about how you say it. Tone is very important. Here's another thought for you. You're you're actually not required to poke the bear, challengers. Like You just need to know that. You don't have to. And I would simply say this, if you're a challenger here this morning, again, just we're just suspending judgment. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Some self-examination and some self-awareness, right? Pick your battles. If you're a challenger, you should be hyper-aware. Pick your battles. Not every battle is worth it. About 25 years ago, I was coaching college basketball, and I coached with a guy who just screamed. If you if have ever been in these environments, he screamed, I mean, like literally screamed at officials for every single call. Now, just think in your head a minute. What impact do you think that actually has on the officials? And the answer is, they just tune him out. They just tune him out after a while, and he got nothing. And so I would say this, pick your battles. Is this a hill I'm willing to die on? Because as eights, what we feel is, we're listening to a conversation, and they say something that's not quite right, and we go, Ooh, "I gotta, I just gotta say something." I gotta. You actually don't. You actually don't. Is it really gonna make a difference? Like challengers, you gotta let you gotta just let some things go. It's not all worth it. And then the last one of these that I'll give you is this: just wait to hit send, eights. <laughs> just wait to hit send, because wait, you make the eights. You make decisions very quickly, and you're very impetuous. And so this is, my, this is my little thing that I've done because I've learned this about myself. I get an email and I go, oh, I'm just going to respond, you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And so now I, I type out my email and then I just let it sit on my computer. And over the day, I'll have two or three staff come into my office that I really admire and I appreciate and I look up to. And so I'll say, hey, would you do me a favor? this is a response I'm sending to an email. Would you read this for me? (laughs) Like, you think it's okay? And they're like, yeah, no, you cannot, you cannot send that. Oh, now I get a couple different drafts. I rewrite the email and now I send it, right? Just wait. Don't hit send right away. So I'm going to give you the big so what, because what we want to do Aids, we celebrate you. We love you. We're grateful for you. You have something special that the kingdom of God needs. And I'm going to leave you with this thought about AIDS. This is AIDS. They're challengers, and they will stand up even if they stand alone. And we love that. Two of the healthiest AIDS sociologists, people who study this, two of the healthiest AIDS that they tell us about, don't know if they've taken the assessment, but this is the way they, they categorize them, Dr. King and Mother Teresa, for the vulnerable. So I want to leave you with some images, some positive ways for you to think about yourself if you're a challenger, to see what can be. And I want you to, to those people that you know, so that you'll celebrate them. We celebrate you. We love you. You have something that we need. And there's a beautiful transformation that takes place. When we're willing to acknowledge, man, th- a little self-awareness. These are, these are some rough spots on me. And then we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And we relate to people. And we love people. And we live out and we speak out the gospel in a very compelling way. And so over the next couple weeks, we're going to have the same big now what. But here's what I want you to do just for the big now what this week. Uh, I want you to find someone that you love, that you trust, and you're going to be vulnerable with them. And you're gonna ask a really simple question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? Like that's a really interesting question. And you gotta ask it, you gotta be vulnerable. Like, what's it like? How do I come across? How do how do people experience me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? And then and then you, you just gotta. You ask the question. You just got to take it in. Now, if you're in this room and you're the person they come to, this is not the opportunity to unload 20 years of just like mess. It's about time you asked me. Say it in a way that they can receive it. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. We're trying to we're trying to be used by the Holy Spirit to help in the transformation of people. That's what we're going to be working on. We want to love people more effectively, demonstrate and and communicate the gospel in a more effective manner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way that you've spoken. Thank you for your holy word, God, for your Holy Spirit. Spirit, we say we unleash you. We give you permission. And Holy Spirit, we want you to transform us. We want to be more and more into the likeness of Christ, man. We want to be used for the sake of the kingdom. We want to communicate the gospel, both in what we say, but in how we live and how we relate to people. God, would you grant us that?